Hey. Hello. Oh, dude, it's working. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's actually working. Thank you, Gary Vaynerchuk, <laughs> <laughs> for creating Anchor. I don't know if you created Anchor, but finally. Woo. That's great. Yeah. Okay, so is it recording on your end, too, or just mine? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, I believe it's recording on my end as well. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, so we're on, bro. We're on. This is it. Here we are. This is the debut. This is the first of the first of the first. Yeah, of so po- I was th- of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about when we were talking about the name for it, which I don't think we ever really came up with one. But uh, I was thinking about when I first started studying to become a shop teacher. Yeah, I went. I went back to my home school. My home school, and I met with a teacher there. And I told her like what I was doing and I was visiting shop classes and she just kind of froze up a little bit. And she was like, I can't believe you guys still call it shop. (laughs) And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, we don't call our shop teachers shop teachers. Like we call them. I was like, what do you call them? And that school, they were very trade specific. So you were purely the automotive teacher, purely the building trades teacher. But it was kind of like in in the um, family and consumer science industry is the same way. They the uh, the family and consumer science teachers do not like to be called home ec teachers. Ah, okay. Huh. Yeah. Well, well I'm, not, I'm not sure about all of them, but some of them are that way. It's like it's just this weird semantics thing because we were joking. You know, I thought it was yeah. funny how we were joking. What do we call it? You know, you got industrial technology, industrial arts, shop vocational education technical education you know themes incorporated in there somewhere right this is basically the perfect first topic that you know to talk about because what to call it is exactly the 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 whole the whole reason why we're talking is because it's kind of undefined it's it's in the school system, but it's a little bit outside the rules, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, where, you know, because failure is valuable, whereas other classes it's not. So, so if you call it like automotive or you call it, you know, wood shop or something like that, it's not, it's not specific because, I mean, it's too specific because, you know, uh, people get nervous, I think calling it you know they, they if they call well, it automotive people get nervous they're like oh i don't want my kid taking automotive but really it's not automotive it's just teaching people how to think in three dimensions yeah right it's you it's, know it's, but that's not a good catchy name oh what do you teach uh, i teach people to think in three dimensions huh <laughs> yeah that's that's a little bulky yeah you know uh, I have thought about this a lot, you know, I, you and I, I think are more generalists when it comes to teaching industrial skills. We're more of the, uh, you know, you, what you do sheet metal in your shop, you do welding in your shop, you've got an adjoined, um, adjoined wood shop, but you also do your CAD and everything else. And your big tech centers, which I know there's not a lot near you and there, there's really not a lot near me, but where I grew up there were, 
you know, it, it's that very almost community college, very specific thing. Um, but I think that's completely unrealistic for my small rural school. And it sounds like probably even your urban school, it's pretty unrealistic to have one full-time CAD teacher, one full-time building trades teacher, one full-time automotive teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, we, I don't want to train people to change brake pads. You know, when I got first, when I first got hired there, um, what they did was they asked me, um, can you teach uh, drafting? And at the time they were doing manual drafting. Um, and I said, yeah, I can teach drafting because I went to school for design. So I know drafting. They said, okay, you can teach, you have to teach five classes and, and uh, three of them are uh, drafting and two of them are automotive. Can you take, can you teach basic automotive? And I was like, yeah, I never went to automotive school for certification, but I work on my own cars. He's like, ah, no problem. You know, at the time, you know, they just needed it like a, somebody with a pulse you know (laughs) (laughs) you know my supervisor used body you know oh yeah right (laughs) not not realizing it takes much much more than a pulse to run a good shop (laughs) yeah (laughs) so uh so so i got the job but like right away i was like I don't want to just teach kids how to, because they were drawing, like literally drawing H blocks in drafting, like literally talk, teaching someone how to draw the letter H in yep, drafting. Yeah, and like, I'm like, wow, this is like, could it be more dry? You know? <laughs> and, and so it's not only is it dry, right? But it also makes itself obsolete automatically because solving problems will never go out of style. That's that's key right there. That's key. There you go. There you go. It'll never go out of style. But putting a, a, a you know a graphite pencil to a piece of paper with a ruler and a T-square, that is obsolete. I think it's great to have that skill. Mm-hmm. Just, like, just like driving a car is a good skill, but now there's Uber. You don't have to drive a car. You know what I mean? Like, transportation will never go out of style but how you do it changes yeah and i think that's, that's yeah very- so this is the biggest problem with the whole shop class thing is that if you pigeonhole yourself into an obsolete tech i mm-hmm. think there's yeah i think a couple things happen one is you're not really preparing these kids for the future and the second thing is you're not really solving problems. You're just teaching them to do one specific task, which could be eliminated by a computer w- within a couple of years. So that's why yes. it's a difficult area to define. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and I've had industry people come to me and, and one thing that I've seen as an effect of the specialist programs. And I, I, I think it's great to have, give kids a low price of admission for starting out life, you know, and, and those specialty programs do offer that assuming they, you know, walk away from a building trades program, you know, nearly licensed. And uh, in, in the big ticket, I, the difference I've seen is, is the community readily going to be able to employ them? I've talked to industry leaders who, who look at my program and they're telling me, don't pigeonhole these kids. We need your kids, but I don't need them to be 
highly certified welders. I just need, I just need good, well-rounded, you know, industrial skills across the board. Much more complex than just being able to lay a certifiable weld bead. Right. Well, I don't know about complex, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I like, um, you know, and so that's why you can't define it. If you call it industrial arts, then the problem is uh, you get people who think I, you know, we talked about this last time, but just for the podcast, but basically people think to themselves, Oh, industrial arts. That's where I made my, my, my napkin holder. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, this is, this is the most basic project. Like, Let's get away from that, you know, like, um, I mean, and they love it too. They're like, oh, I still have it. Or they made a candlestick. They're like, oh, I still have it. That stuff's great. You know, that's great. Yeah, it's great. But can we move on to problem solving? Because that's where, like, that's where really we need people is uh, using three, you know, three-dimensional tools to come up with a solution. You know, like rock, like launching rockets to the moon. That is a problem to solve. How do you break the physics with aluminum, you know, carbon fiber, you know, rocket, you know, how do you transfer fuel? This is, this is really where the problem solving happens. Uh, and then on the smallest level, like how do you make a really good weld because you want it to be stronger? Um, you know, not just because someone told you it looks a certain way. Why does it, why is it stronger? You know, what's inside of it? So you, we do it like destructive testing. We'll weld something and then we'll smash it with a hammer, you know, right. <laughs> yeah. Break, As you, you know, and, and then there's, there's something to be said about like, I, I call them paint by number projects a lot. Um, yeah. where okay. It's, it's the napkin holder. It's, 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 you know, here's the template, you know, route this template out and then put it together in this way. Everybody's doing the exact same project. And, and, and I'm not going to write off that experience as worthless. I think there's some. Yeah. uh, I think like, like I know a lot of um, like middle school shop teachers, for example, have to do like their units in eight or nine weeks. That's a very, very tough time frame to really get that exploration culture set. That's another battle fight with, with your methodology, with methodology you're talking about right now. Um, and my methodology as well. We got similar styles in that way. The, the battle is, is the freedom paradox. It is, okay, we're not all doing napkin holders, or maybe we are, but we're all, you're all doing your own design of a napkin holder. Oh, just tell me what to do. Well, I don't, you know, I don't know where, you know, and, and then the kids have used that level of autonomy. I think right. it's much more worthwhile for that reason right there. Yeah, you got to get them started. I usually do a starter project as well. We build a flashlight and they got to learn how to solder the wires and make the circuit happen. Absolutely. There's total value in getting started. And then, you know, where there's no continuation, that's where I think, you know, shop class gets a bad rap in that. Yeah. uh, Yeah. So, you know, and then also diversity, even if you do uh, work with wood, why can't you work with metal? Why can't you work with engines? You know? So the, I think it's great what you do with the sh- where you have such a diverse shop. Uh, I'm lucky I got the wood shop next door, but if I didn't, I think I would try and build out a wood shop as well because working with wood is an amazing, you know, medium and pr- very practical skill. If you own a house or if you 
want to make something for yourself. Uh, and also it can be an engineering medium. So the Wright brothers used wood in their construction of their aircraft. Their wings, their wings were made out of fabric. Those guys knew how to sew. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's pretty funny what gets pigeonholed like home ec or family consumer science back in the day they had um sewing machines but sorry when when you pigeonhole it not as a problem solving tool but as a industry tool so you say okay well people like you know the old thing where women in the home would would make uh would do sewing this is crazy you know the right brothers use sewing to, pro to solve a problem a very light a lightweight skin yeah. So, so how it got pigeonholed into this idea that women know how to sew and guys don't, and that's not for the shop classes. That's crazy. But if, you know, I mean, if you want to, if you learn how to sew, you could make your own leather jacket. You could become a fashion designer. There's a lot of male fashion designers. So, so all the tools should should lead up to solving a problem. And I think that that's what kind of, future proofs uh, all these techniques yeah I and mean, the other advantage to the kind of the generalist approach is you're looking at uh the, the nice thing about having a class to define is is we can take those walls down and just say i teach the student so right, right. what what the student's strengths and what his personality caters him to if he's if he's great for laying certifiable weld beads then he's laying certifiable weld beads and if he's great for building a wall hanging cabinet then he's building a wall hanging cabinet and and th that comes with a management trade-off for sure a much more difficult than the the opposite extreme of a paint by numbers situation but i from a from a student growth standpoint i think that's really cool i think that's much more uh, realistic to let them to let them go wherever they wherever they fit. Yeah, yeah. In a way, I mean, I mean, I with a, lunch, a coaching, but but when you have that kind of pigeonhole, that closed-in title of maybe just sewing, and you're and you're creating a, a population of sewing machine operators. I mean, even for me, if I was to just do all cabinet making, one percent of that population would become a cabinet maker. Right. And, Exactly. they'd get some problem solving skills out of it um for sure they'd walk away with that but but where's where's the the, the self-awareness education where are they going to learn hey I, I like welding more than cabinet making you know i think that's critical there yes I'm even if they do need walk into my shop i don't lose perception on the transfer let's see if i can do it quick um yeah, I agree. Like, really, you're teaching the student. That's the advantage I think shop teachers have is that you're not just trying to fill this person up with, um, you know, information and then expect them to put it back on a test. What, what, I, what you're really doing is you give them, give them a skill to manipulate the materials and come up with like a like – a, give them like leverage, like a result. If they take to it, um, then you can give them more in that direction. If you're a flexible shop, it's kind of like a school within a school, in a way. Yeah. You know, uh, 
that's that's the extreme advantage that that the um, that the shot classes have versus yeah, uh, yeah. and you know, if if someone ever has a chance to take a a shop class, oh my god, it's just you know are you, are you ever jealous? Are you ever jealous of your kids? hundred percent. Like I can't even believe that. You're sitting there teaching, and you're like, I would kill to have an in one hour of, yeah, because that's how my classes are. Um, one hour, but two hours would even be sweeter. But one hour of an open, like a shop space that I can push somebody to coach me as I'm working. Like I get so jealous of my yeah. kids. Sometimes. Yeah, I, you know, like I, I try to take classes that you know for adults, and um, they're very, very expensive. Uh, you know, they're not that free because they're, you know, as far as like, I took welding, um, 144 hours of pig welding at a local school and uh, a couple years back. And, you know, there was some flexibility there. Um, but you're focused on like one thing I had to like beg because I wanted to do a project because the thing is you can weld the same lines and get really good at it. But the thing is, unless you're where the rubber hits the road, like unless you're like solving a problem and you're like welding around corners and you're like, I ha- I actually had to attach a bracket to an axle of a car and I started welding it and it wasn't going anywhere. And I told the guy and he's like, Oh yeah, you need a, a larger, a larger tungsten and a larger filler rod. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know they had larger sizes at the time. I didn't know at all. You know, so yeah. it wasn't, I didn't really start learning until I started doing a project. Then it challenged me. I was like, oh, shit. You know, so right. oh, I curse, but whatever. So <laughs> it's a shop, it's a shop <laughs> class podcast. Podcast. <laughs> yeah. so there's a little, like, alliteration, I think. Do you think yeah. – uh, yeah, I guess. So I do get jealous of my students, and it's hard to replicate that amazing environment for an adult. It That's what I was about to ask. Very costly. Because I was going to say, do you think part of the reason the adult classes have to stay much more streamlined than you and I do is because somebody's paying a price, they want to know what the product is going to be, versus like if kids were paying for yours in my class, like the amount of frustration they experience and failure they experience like if we sold that as a product people would walk away probably thinking they're getting ripped off because once you put more like it you know for the yeah that's interesting can you sell failure you know like basically that's what we're doing we're like here come on in you're going to do this thing you're going to fail and that's what we're going to charge you for (laughs) 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 uh that's that's difficult one you know yeah i think that the they want to come away with um like a result and then but there are classes like this but they're very expensive like i took a sheet metal class it was over a a, almost three days or four days and it was very open um but it's 1500 bucks wow yeah just for like the four days i think it was four days and uh, $1,500 each person, you know, and there was like 20 people there. And there was a lot of machines and you don't get one-on-one. 
And uh, you're thinking to yourself, well, I could spend 1500 on a machine at home and then I'll have it at home and I'll have more than four days. So it's, it crosses a line of maybe I should just, you know, get the equipment and fail on my own, you know? So these kids, they, they, get, they have a, a fantastic opportunity to come into a shop. Uh, there's no obligation to make a product just to move forward. Uh, it's, it's, they're lucky. Yeah, they're lucky, dude. But they don't know it. <laughs> they yeah, definitely- don't know it. <laughs> and to be fair, I didn't either when I was in yeah. school. We, I had yeah. a very, very nice automotive shop. And uh, when I was taking that, – that's where I decided I wanted to do what I do now. And oh. it was uh, just – I mean, we had a really nice alignment rack. We had six bays. We had the nicest tire-changing machine in town. And I, I came from Columbus, Indiana, which is where Cummins Engineering is headquartered. Uh-huh. And they just, so they dumped money in those programs because, the, you know, the industry like these likes these programs because they get employed, you know, qualified employees from them. Uh, right, so, right. so Cummins did that. And um, so we had this super nice automotive shop uh, amongst other shops. I didn't realize because of the stigma associated with taking shop classes, I, I never pursued those opportunities in my senior year of high school. And it was uh-huh. just automotive. I wish I'd go back and do the rest of them um, and get gotten more of that exposure. But, uh, but in that program, I, and being around those programs, yeah, I did not fully appreciate that that shop that I was working in was going to be the nicest automotive shop I've seen outside of a dealership. And, and it's been remodeled since. So it's like, <laughs> so those wow. kids don't even know, you know what I mean? Wow. That they, but I had no idea. I remember coming up to my uh, at colleges and seeing their shops and being like, "What the heck?" You know, that was when it was an eye opener for me. It was like, "Man, we were really, really lucky." Wow, no kidding. Now, yeah, you are. I didn't even have it growing up. I, yeah, I didn't have it growing up. And what I used to do, <laughs> this is, did I ever tell you I used to go to junkyards? No, no, I never knew this. Yeah, so I grew up in New, New Milford, New Jersey, but right next door was this place called Hackensack. Hackensack was kind of like it's a typical over-suburbanized. They got like strip malls everywhere, like just mall, 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 crazy traffic. So they they didn't care what happened to the land. So they, they had this historic um, – Monument. It's actually where George Washington uh, retreated to uh, temporarily so he could regroup. Uh, it's along what they call the Hackensack River, and it's very close to the Hudson River, you know, within, you know, 10-minute car ride. So it's – this is like where George Washington came through, where he trained the troops, like a big deal. They had like this beautiful part of land, and that was given to – or I don't know how they got it, but – Someone must have sold that, uh, and years like maybe a hundred years ago, and they and this guy created a junkyard. So then, do to do history moves along, and then along comes little Ronnie, me, you know, and I am desperate to work on cars, just absolutely desperate. No one's gonna let me work on cars. I didn't have anybody that would work on cars, so I would go to the junkyard, and I would just 
go there just so I could like look at the parts. And I love drawing, so I would draw the parts and I would sit there. And I had a backpack for my sketch pad and my pencils. And the old guy who owned the place, he was like the scariest guy ever. And he was like, get over here. And he would like, whenever I walk out, he'd go, are you going to buy anything, kid? You know? <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm just, I just want to look. And he's like, why don't you buy something? And I was like, okay, okay. So I think I bought like a taillight once or something, you know? <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. I was so like a deer in headlights. I had no idea what was going on. And um, and so I I would just freak in the place. So finally they got to know me a little bit. And the second in command, he used to take engines out of cars and he would hang them in the air. And then I'm not sure why, but he would dismantle them and let the oil just go right onto the ground. Like just do, 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 do. Pam, oil pan drops, oil everywhere. Just, I don't know why he was doing that, but he was taking, you know, I guess somebody wanted the pistons or something. I'm not, I, I really don't know what they wanted, but he would do that all day and I'd watch him do it. And then um, years later, the EPA shut them down and they took like six feet or whatever it is, the requirement, they took all the soil that was on the top, cut it. And then they put brand new soil on top, put a beautiful fence in. And I swear you would, if you didn't know this story, you, you would never know that there was a junkyard there at one point in time. It looks like there was never a junkyard ever. Wow. Yeah. So that was my shop class. <laughs> you know, I wonder if there's something to be said about our styles having not had a lot of shop class experience because I've, I've felt like that's where I get some of my imposter syndrome from. That's kind of why I embrace that title. The imposter teacher is because the people that I was teaching shop next to, they're like, you, you know, why you do that? It's like, well, this is what I did in shop class, you know, and, and they were going off of a playbook that somebody else had either done for them or given them. And, and, and I, I'd never had a playbook. I had that automotive, which I've never taught an automotive course or, or the resources to even come close to it. Um, yeah. So, so not having that playbook, I really kind of created my own, which has been frustratingly tedious, but at the same time, it's mine, you know, it's, yep. Yep. It, it, we're not doing napkin holders probably for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way to go. You, you got to come into this with like no training. You got to come into it from a problem solving point of view. I think that's the best way to go. Well, and I think, yeah, I think that encourages facilitating more. I I think you and I have to, I think we're we're both, I'm sure you're faced with situations where your kids want to do something you've never done before or or don't, you know, don't know exactly how to do it. And you facilitate that knowledge and it it kind of sucks. It's kind of a bumpy road. It's much easier when you just know what you need to know and you force that knowledge down their throats. But the... The trouble with that is you never model for your students. Hey, I don't know either, but I'm going to be bold enough to figure it out with you. And I think that's, again, if they never, even if they become an accountant, that is a valuable lesson for them to, to see. Right. Like, like the, the value in trying something new is, is the iterations and the failure. So 
Uh, there's some uh, uh, girls in my class that they want to fix a bicycle tire so or a bicycle. So I said, okay. Uh, they bring in their bike and uh, they're working on it. And then they didn't have the proper tools. I, I don't have bicycle tools there. I do. I, we just, if there's, well, if there's like a specific tool, almost like a key lock thing, um, I'll just buy it, you know. But as far as like a, a so they call it a cone wrench. It's very thin, but it's like a number 13 cone wrench. But yeah, we could buy it. But I was like, let's make the thing. And the frustration level of these girls went through the roof. It peaked. And I was yeah. like, and that's when I knew I'm like, ah, oh, we're on the right path. <laughs> I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> because how could this be? They went 12 years. They're seniors. They went 12 years and they just memorize information and then they put it back on a test and they've never had to come up with something new. Uh, you know, from my point of view, uh, I mean, I'm sure they wrote beautiful English papers or whatever, but um, they, they found this very frustrating. I was like, well, it's just part of the process. You know, this is what engineers, engineers and entrepreneurs go through this. Uh, have you, have yeah. you ever beat, beat that horse so dead to the point of like, um, shut down? Like they just yeah, completely you can, shut you down you. Far. Yeah, you can go too far. Yeah, I've I went too far a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there's like a calibration. There's a calibration process you have to go through. Yeah, and it's different with each group too. It's like a little bit of a different. There's a different line yeah. with each group. So I try and sneak in some wins every now and then when we're like, yeah, really low. But but yeah, it is tough. There is a hundred percent like a, it falls off a cliff. And then if you even mention the project, they're like, no. They're like, oh, it doesn't work. I'm like, oh, God. Okay, forget it. Forget it. Back up. Back up. Warning. Yeah. Boop, boop. Pull up. Warning. It's like an airplane about to crash. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. That so then level, you yeah, that level of uh, knowing when it's too much. I think um, – yeah, it's difficult when you don't have all the skills, and you're. I guess they don't feel like they have anything to stand on, you know. Yeah, if they can't win, then they kind of get. Yeah, if it's not like a, a failure, then a win. Failure, then a win. That's okay. But if it's failure, 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 then they're like, oh, this is going nowhere. They have no point of reference, which is understandable. Yeah. Yep, and and their confidence, you know, it, confidence is a funny thing to observe in a shop too. You can have way too much and way too little. Yeah, uh, and with with a bunch of failures on top of failures, the confidence is diminished, and and I've seen that just be really the main catalyst of the shutdown is well, I'm not good at that, I you know blah blah blah, and so then and what it forces us to do is we're not as much shop teachers as I think we are coaches or inspirational speakers or motivators or you know yeah, um, culture agents. So. Something something that I do, we talked about this before, is that I'll I'll let them fail in a in a disposable material like paper or cardboard. Mm -hmm. So if they can get it to work in paper or cardboard, then it'll work in steel. You know. Uh, yes. So I so that's kind of how I 
you know, they a lot of them always want to jump ahead. They're like, oh, I'm ready. No, no, no. <laughs> right. Right. That's where that overconfidence comes in. Yeah. What do you do going back to the – I faced this situation uh, recently where we're, we were talking a little bit at the start of this conversation about, you know, kind of teaching to the student, allowing the students to do some exploratory, blah, blah. And, and I've got one who's just – hacking the total flaws of that approach every approach can have its flaws and basically i'll paint the picture so we can see the flaws of of this approach as well Uh, you know it's okay we're not all doing napkin holders you're all doing your design here's your design okay you know sketch out your design make your make your elevator pitch for for uh the the reason of you know material management we don't want to be wasting materials so there's a level of vetting out that i have to do uh, and we talk about that and, and this kid's just putting up so much resistance. And so finally, I just in a classroom of about a, this is a class of a dozen. You're managing a dozen different napkin holder 3.0s or whatever. Yeah. And, and this one, this one kid's just up against the wall, close to shut down. And so I just say, OK, I, you know, this is he's definitely not wired for designing life. But I, he's he's not gonna um, build when all these other students were are building their own designs. Uh, I'm not gonna greenlight him to build, but I was like, but I do have a project here uh, that I'm gonna have you help me with um, outside the shop here. And he was real excited at first, and I just said, I said, but just so you know, if we're gonna deviate this far from from my already kind of thin thin spread thin curriculum where I'm already, you know, spread a little bit thin. If we're going to deviate this far, like there's no, there's no questions. Like you just, I delegate and you do. If, if you're going to be a doer and, and not a thinker today, then I, right. I delegate and do. Well, well that worked for a day. And then the next day he, he said, well, I'm not doing this. Oh. And I was like, you have to go back and do, go back to your paperwork and, and, and work on that. Well, I'm not going to do that either. And oh, yeah. it was kind of the first big wave of apathy. Thankfully I've had, I hadn't seen this since a little bit in my last district uh, where it was like, okay, so, so nothing's going to appease you. Nothing. I, I have to have, you know, I provide freedom within a level of structure and I'm trying to teach the kid, you know, okay, fine. Maybe he's just not a thinker. I'll give him like a good doing task and build his doing skills, his performance skills that way. Um, and then he, yeah, and then he just kind of gives me the shutdown, just gives, just gives me the shutdown there. All right. That's a good question. The shutdown. He doesn't want to do something with you where he's doing, you know, an assistant and he doesn't want to do his own thing. Um, okay. This is, this is what I do in those scenarios. I just had that happen. I had a kid who started out the class really, really good. He did like we had a cookie cutter project in the beginning with a little freedom at the end, like a com- competition. Uh, like we build a flashlight and the flashlight has to survive a five foot drop. Okay. So they did that. And then, uh, then he started working on an engine. Took him a long time, but he did stick through it. We got it to run. Okay. Then he sort of fell flat for about a month. And I'll be honest, I lost, I lost track of him. So I said to him, hey, what's going on? Because he became – see, here's the problem. With idle hands, like when they're not moving and doing something, as you know, 
they start oh, to get, gather attention because yep. they're bored. So they're like, all right, I'm going to talk. I'm going to be the star of the class. I learned my lesson years ago. There's no way I'm going to be able to um, uh, like beat that. I can't. You can't, can't compete with that. Yeah, no way right. you can compete with that. So I say, I say, listen, you're more popular than me. Uh, you know, I need you on my side. What's going on? Where's your project? And he's like, oh, well, I already finished the engine. I go, all right, well, it's time to pick the next project. And I, they have freedom to pick from a, from a list. And he says, well, I don't want to do anything else. I said, okay. So, you know, I, and I got a little mad. I was like, well, why are you in the class? You know, he's like, I don't want to be in the class. Okay, I was like, all right, well, but there's only like a month and a half left of school. And he's like, can you get me out of the class? And I'm like trying to hide all the all the insults. Like I, I'm, I'm like, right, yeah. I'm like, dude, I spent time with you. Like, right. and then I then I remember, oh, this is a kid. He like, they don't see us as people; they see us as teachers. So I'm like, yeah. all, right, all right. I was like, okay, okay, okay. This kid, he's not trying to insult me. He's so I. I always – so I switch it. So I go, look, I like you. You know, I like you a lot. I want you to do some work. He's like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, okay, tell you what. Can you do me a favor? He's like, oh, for you? Yeah, no problem. I was like, okay. I want you to get into the welding gear, and I want – can you just weld this one thing for me? And he was like, I don't know how to do it. I was like, I'll teach you. So, so it requires – they. It, it, I think it requires them thinking that they're helping me with like a one little project. And it's not for them – because it's not a personal problem they have with me. It's, it's a it's – a, I think it's like they don't want to do – they don't see the value. So they're like, well, I'm just not going to do it. But if I'm like, hey, get your pro- – let's go. If I push them. They don't, they're not motivated by that. But if I'm like, can you help me with something? You know, right? You know, that for some reason they don't say they never say no to that. And this amazing thing happened. The first day, I got him to do some welding. I was I did it with him. And then the second day, I did some more welding with him. But on the third day, I got busy with other people, and on their own. I don't know how, I can't explain it, but two other kids who normally just sit and listen to him talk followed him over to the welding booth and they started watching him weld and he started describing how to weld. Within two days, I'm like, you're joking. What just happened here? <laughs> nice. Nice. That's I, even, I even went up to one of the other students and they go, hey, I was like, come here, come here. It's like, don't jinx your pitcher in, in a no-hitter. I go, look over there. Look over there. You see that kid? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, look, he's he's welding, and he's got two kids with him. I go, it worked. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great win. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't always work. But, but, no. but, but what does work is if you if you say, look, can you, can you just – do it. Can you just help me with something? You just say that. Oh, right. Like, oh, what, what, why? What do you need help with? I'm like, I just want to see you weld something. Can I, can I do it with you? All right. You know, like, but if it's like, if you're like, yo, go do this. If you point direction, I always get resistance from the ones that are, you know, 
in that mode, you know? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point. There's, um, that's what I'm hearing is, let's see, you got like strong relationship. That was, that was pretty much the, the main fallback. And yeah. then being able to turn off the, um, what, what can feel like a personal attack, even though they're not, but it can definitely feel like it. I've, I've been on the receiving end of those a lot of yeah. times. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, what's nice about that story is, is yeah, it won't always work. And I'm just empathizing with the amount of emotional energy it takes to come up with another task, to ask for help with it, to not feel the personal attacks. You know, that's a big emotional step a big emotional investment but you you can't like you may bank on that one like that big picture is pretty small step and at the end of the day it's it's a step that i have barely to perform versus the start of the day um yeah but yep. just goes to show you could save you the energy the next the next few days when especially if he's got two other kids you know that's kind of compounded the efficiency yeah i uh i 100 percent initially it, I think I can't remember. I think it was like a Monday or something. I was a little tired, and I initially was like, "I was like, hey, come on, what's going on here? Where, where's your project? You know, like, and resistance, resistance, resistance." And then I, um, and then I went and I, uh, and I said, um, uh, uh, I said, "Okay, well, what are you working on?" And then we got into, the second day. We got into an argument. What are you working on? I don't want to be here, you know? And then the third day I was like, I, I was like, look, I was like, I like you, you know, I, I want you in my class, you know, which is true. I, why would I have a problem with, there's no, there's no real animosity. It's just temporarily you're a little, I'm a little frustrated that they're not continuing down the road. We've already set upon, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so then I sit, you know, and then I say, then so then this, I guess, uh, I don't know, second or third day, I was like, okay, look, I like you. He's like, yeah, I like you too. I'm like, all right, good. So this is not personal. No, 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 it's not personal. I was like, okay. I got, tell me, tell you what, can you, if you want, you don't want to do anything, that's fine. But can, can you just help me? Well, what do you need help with? I'm like, all right, we're going to do it together. Just help me weld this thing. I just want to see if you can do it, you know, just try it. Why don't you just try it? Try it. I'll do it with you. Let's go. He's like, uh, all right, fine. So then he comes over there. We do some welding, and then the, we got. A, I got a result out of it. You know, I don't know if that's going to translate into anything down the road, but that's it. It saved three students for doing nothing, and now I got them working. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's pretty like cool. it's like man, teaching is like a an ego check. Like every Monday, I get <laughs> <in> the <ego> stomach. <laughs> Yeah, you it really is. You just <laughs> you have to swallow pretty much all pride. Yeah. Um one thing I've been struggling with is is okay, so if I invest that energy into that kid like right now I've got like a really great just over time I've developed really good rapport with some kids. I've developed a really good culture, a very supportive, you know, there's there's great commodity between me and the you know, I've got this kind of culture thing set up, but it's 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 almost to the point where when the disruptor shows up, when someone um, chooses to be the disruptor, it drives those kids bonkers. Yeah. That I'm, that I'm, 
be not so much from a, your disrupting class standpoint, but the commodity between me and them is, is so strong now. It'd be like if, if I made fun of your sister kind of deal, oh, like, wow. you know, and so, so you got these kids on your side. And they don't yeah, want they're, they're, right. Anybody messing up the class. Exactly. And it's, it's oh, great. Wow. It's awesome. But at the same time, it makes it so hard for that kid to recover, you know, and, and I'll get over it. I'll forget about it quicker than some of my kids will yeah for that kid who's already crossed that line it's for my kids i try and you know like all right every day is a new day and everything else but they've almost wrote them off completely yeah i see yeah you know it it could the shop class can or any class can, can easily be a very pressurized situation and um i you know i make a mistake here and there uh still but overall i try and i try and make a lot of jokes in the class and stuff and i try and uh because you know it's it's pressurized because you're right like it's such a special situation and it's so valuable like someone could become a nasa engineer or own their own business and make millions of dollars. There's a lot of car traffic. Wow. Um, I don't know if you heard that. People race up the block. Uh, but anyway, you know, not, and it's not just about the money, but you could, you could have a whole life for yourself based on the initial lessons learned in a shop class. And then, so if, if there's a disruptive kid in the class, yeah, you want to like, you, you know, you want to like kill them. Not obviously not, but you want to be like, dude, like don't take the class then, you know, and I'm sure the kids feel the same, you know, don't mess this up, you know, right. so, but, but, but what happens is, um, uh, yeah, you gotta, it, it's, I, what I do is, you know, I try and make it less tense, you know, even at, at, I guess it's a sacrifice of how serious the class could be, but it's kind of like necessary because if it, if the class is very tense, uh, it's too much to handle, you know, like there's so many egos in there and there's so many, you know, and then you have dangerous tools. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, and kids need for them to grow. They need a level of security. You know, if they feel insecure and comfortable, they won't retain a single thing about that class other than how they felt. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, there is that. Uh, definitely that um, level. The uh, this reminds me of a. Uh, so when I went to uh, the university and got my degree for teaching this, the the prof- the professor I had. Uh, a me- take a methods level class which is like uh-huh. you learn teaching methods particular to there they called it industrial technology education and so uh, but it was the the number of students graduating from that program was so small I think there was two of us graduate yeah I graduated one other kid with my with the same degree as me and so it was just a directed study with this professor who was extremely busy all the time um, so pretty much it just meant that we met like twice that semester. And anyways, I remember really only like one lesson from that whole dilemma. And it was the same lesson. He was taught by his methods teacher. And it was, it was, he just 
sat us down and he just asked, what are you going to do when a student says, fuck you? <laughs> <laughs> when it, wait, when a student says like, like, like directly at you, fuck you. Yeah, directly at you, fuck you. <laughs> ah, you just gotta laugh. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and it was well. It was, it was. I'm glad we. I'm. I got a lot out from that lesson because what he he told us his experience. He said it happened to me once, and I just turned around and chuckled and said, "Not today." And the kid chuckled, and then things. You know, the tension was gone. Right. Um, and and it came to like find out that the kid. It was just an outer expression of some things going on outside the classroom. Blah blah blah. And it helped bring things back to reality. Now, the point is, is you, you can be tolerant to a point where, yeah, it does, it, it creates more tension, you know, and when you, and so, yeah, it's definitely, I think a lot of it is just gut and intuition and, you know. Yeah. You know what I, sometimes. you know what helps, you know what helps me sometimes is like, I'll have days where I come in. I know they're supposed to be doing work, and everyone's in talking and kind of hangout mode. And I, and I can easily start. Sometimes I do this. I'll admit. Sometimes I'll I'll look down the list and I'll call each kid individually. I'll be like, okay, uh, you know, come over here. All right. And then they come over. What's going on with this project? And then you know they'll get defensive, and then we'll or they'll say, yeah, you're right. I'm not doing anything right now. It's like, oh, they'll be like. Gee it's, gee, it's Monday. I'm like, all right, don't even get me started on that. So, <laughs> <laughs> is that the worst? It's oh, always to do something. Yeah. So then, what I what I do is, I I'll admit I have days where I don't know I don't know what to do, but then the the best outcome is when if nobody is working, and I don't want to start calling names and getting under people's skins and and stuff like that. What I do is I just pick something that I'm supposed to be doing and I'll just, uh, I'll just start doing it. I'll just start working. And then I might call a kid over and be like, Hey, can you help me carry this? And you carry something over. And then now I have an assistant working with me. And then, um, I don't know, that always tends to work. Like you, all of a sudden they notice that it's a working environment. Uh, uh, but I, a funny trick is if you're, if you're working, you might be making noise with a saw or with a um, with a uh, a sandblaster, which needs uh, an air compressor. So yeah. it's hard to have a it's hard for them to have a side conversation while the air compressor is going. So that's what you it know, <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that. I'm glad you said that because as you were talking, I was thinking, and like a trick that I do to just maintain productivity is is just keep the environment. Like I've told you before, I don't have any anywhere to really sit in my shop because there's no reason to be to be sitting. Ah, okay. um, and then uh, and so the environment's just not comfortable for for not doing anything. But then the other thing is like I keep the you know. I don't start the music till after we've kind of gone through the similar one-on-one -on -one situation. And that's a little bit of a trigger. I'll see some productivity. But one thing I've noticed is I've done this before. I've got this small dust collector. Sometimes I'll just walk over and turn it on in that hall is just like a reminder. You're in a shop. Yeah. You're, this is associated with a working environment. You should be, you know, producing, you should be creating. 
and and it gets the people a little bit moving a little bit better in yeah. fact in the back, if i do cleanup and and the kids are using vacuums i get a better job of cleanup not because they're using vacuums but i think the noise of <laughs> a vacuum cleaner <laughs> triggers uh a more more motivated effort to get things clean yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. you can even like ask kids if kids are sitting down hey everybody put their chairs up i'm sweeping and then you just go and sweep underneath their feet where they're that's a good sitting <laughs> that changes they're not gonna like hang out after that <laughs> yeah yeah i like that one that's a good one that's yeah. a good one if are you one hour classes what's that are you one hour classes? You have two hour no, classes or no. Um I have one eighty minute period and the rest are forty minute periods. And that took like my entire career until this year to get. <laughs> so. Wow. Forty short. Forty minutes is useless. Pretty much is. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't know what wow. they're thinking with that. I've been asking them, you know, hey, you might want to change it up. They, you know, uh, scheduling is like a major problem. You know, it's very difficult. There's a lot of moving pieces and stuff. But mm-hmm. I don't know. To me, I think 40-minute um, period is useless. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not entirely useless, but uh, not much happens. You know, I can make a demonstration. They could try something, but really, they would have to come after school. And because I stay after school in a program, uh, like a they call it a STEAM program, which is STEM but with an extra A. <laughs> and uh, and you know, what they'll do is they'll they'll put the extra effort in. You know, kid has to be real dedicated to make the forty minutes work. Yeah, um, you know, so it's it's. I guess it's doable, but it's it's pretty crazy because if you actually do attendance, like, all right, everybody, sit down. We're gonna do attendance. Yeah, okay. I, I just run through attendance real quick at the end, and then I also, um, uh, uh, yeah, I, it's, there's not much you can do with that. So that's what I have. You have one hour classes. Yeah, well, they're about fifty four minutes. That's awesome. How many classes do you have? Uh, I have two high school industrial art classes. Okay. One, well, and then I have two middle school industrial art classes, but I only see them two days a week. Oh, okay. And then I have um, my CAD class, and then I have a Spanish one and a Spanish two. That's uh, so you have to teach Spanish too. Yes. Um, so here's the irony of the thing, which we talked about before, is that I work in a 99% Latin neighborhood. Everyone speaks Spanish. I speak about 20 words. You teach Spanish. Is it a, is it a Latin neighborhood? There's there's no – there is – we're 99% Caucasian. I, I don't even know. <laughs> Where the nearest Spanish speaker is, I, I, it's definitely a town away. Like <laughs> it's, it's um, at least twenty miles before I would run into the next Spanish speaker. You would be better suited in my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> Spanish and teaching Spanish—that's so funny. Yeah. 
even you know even the limited some kids like literally just got to the country but it's all good like you know i'm real lucky that it's it's we just use uh, sometimes i'll use google translate but oh yeah it's amazing what that thing can do i i sometimes take i'll take their excuses because if someone gives me an excuse i write it down i have a document three pages long senior list yeah i love it you showed it to me (laughs) oh (laughs) so and i'll put that on google translate and i'll just let it fly with the speakers loud and the kids like die laughing you know (laughs) 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 because the translation is probably bad you know (laughs) that's great crazy man what so what happened this week? Anything happened this week? I know I talked to you last week, but anything new happened this week? Um, not so much. Still prepping my graduation speech. Um, still working on garden projects. You're, you're giving the graduation speech for the school. Yep. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. I'm still working on uh, the, the science department wants to do you know, a little garden area, so we're trying to wrap things up for that. Uh, okay. at the, it is cool seeing these projects like like we did a driveway with one of my classes this lady in our neighborhood wanted a driveway so i taught my students how to do concrete work and did a driveway and i did these I did these concrete stepping stones i made them huge like these are these are like stepping stones on steroids but i had to make them huge because i wanted to show students like how to use a trowel and you can't you know you got to have working area to use a trowel uh-huh. um, uh, so we did these huge stepping stones and, and then they were just buried under snow because I knew they were going to be used for the garden project come spring. And it's, I think it's about the longest I've ever seen. Start to finish. You know what I mean? We, we did the driveway. We practiced on the stepping stones. We did the driveway. The stepping stones were put up, snow fell. And then now we're getting them back out and kids are setting them. And it's just kind of cool seeing that like, wow, this was from forever ago, come to life. And then a garden bed that's going in that the kids are building. And just the timing, end of the year timing is awkward. It's really awkward, you know. But you, you're very productive, which I noticed, and I see you have a very good system. Um, I feel like I could learn a lot from that. Uh Mine's kind of loosey-goosey. I, I have a list of what people are doing, and I have a general rule about using temporary materials. But um, I don't have much more than that. Uh, you know, they're always trying to solve a problem, and I, I, I strive for self-sufficiency. You know, uh, seems to be the best outcomes and stuff like that. But I wonder if you'll ever do – if you would do like an overview video explaining your system, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That would be cool. You know? Uh, yeah. I could do something like that. It's um, it is a lot of, of systems in place. And then some, some of it's loosey goosey. Most of the systems that are in place are designed uh, almost more from a communication uh, level. Well, what am I trying to say here? They're, they, they raise the bar high enough that when the bar drops, the bar is still high enough. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I guess like uh, you have certain milestones or something like that you want to get to. Is that what you mean? Well, when it comes to project management, like of my kids, yeah, I, I guess I guess my system is it's, it's similar to yours, where we go day by day. Um, but overall, like I guess like the oh, I'll give you an example. Like at the start of the year, I made kids like check out their tool holder, you know, their tools. I mean, so every every tool had to be checked out. Okay. Um, and that that was my system to make sure all tools got back and then but it's a pain like i don't even like to do it so it's awful, it's awful checking on details yeah and then it, and then you gotta enforce it and everything else so what i'll do is yeah. enforce it and kind of make a stink of it for a while and then i'll get laid back about it and by then they just know like that's the alternative and and then and, and so the next time a kid doesn't check one out, it kind of fails. And, and that kind of compromises my consistency a little bit. But at the same time, yeah. the kids realize, like, this is just excess. And then and then when they start getting sloppy, I just say, hey, we're going to I'm going to bring this back. So and then I'll bring it back for a couple of days and then we'll kind of like let it slide. And it's just kind of like this whole thing. But basically, the, the I, you know, I can have a drill not come back at the end of the hour. And, yeah, it kind of sucks. But it was never stolen, you know, because, because the habits were formed and there's a level. So, so it comes in waves for sure. But, um, but yeah, most of my systems are designed to have those fail safes in place. So what happens when a kid doesn't check it out? Well, the tool holders designed, you know, we use visual storage, so everything's really visual. So even if he doesn't have his name on it, we know it's gone. Uh, and, then, and then on top of that, the uh, tools are labeled with a number that I can see from a distance. So if drills four, four is gone and drill three is gone. You know, I might look across the room and see who's got drill four and who's got drill three or whatever. And just kind of those kind of visual aids have helped me. Wait, so the drill itself, you put the, you put a label on the drill. Yeah. I put like just using whiteout um, or a, or a paint marker. I put a big number on it so that I can distance just which one it is and then i just most of that's just a mental note process so if drill four does show up missing you know maybe they didn't check it out so there was one fail in the system um and then but i could see the number then i've got you know maybe they don't put it away so there's another fail in the system but i got the visual that they didn't put it away plus i got the vision you know hopefully my memory will recall who had number four if it's actually missing, most of them don't even leave, you know, I don't have an issue with theft, I think because of the number of fail safes there. Yeah. And I guess so. my project management has some of that as well um, to a degree, but yeah, I'd be happy. We could break all that stuff down a little more in video or, yeah. or podcast form. I mean, what, just briefly, like what's the, so, so, once they learn like a like a beginning cookie cutter project if they want to choose a project is there a process for choosing the project yeah there is i got i have a book that i wrote um and i mean i literally hand wrote it this goes back to creating your own content and not having anyone else's playbook um so it's handwritten photocopied um book and what it does is it walks you through um for two minutes you have to sit there and we'll do this as a class. We'll do two minutes. You have to brainstorm anything you want to build, anything you have, any level of motivation for bringing to life, do it. And I don't care if it's an aircraft carrier, 
Like, <laughs> no, no constraints are on the table. Blank canvas, go. Two minutes straight. Like, the only limit is the time limit. I give them the time limit just because too much of a blank canvas and they freeze up. So the time limit kind of helps helps them yeah. see that there's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Right. And then we break it down, like, what's realistic. What's realistic for your ability level. That's one category. And, we, and I have them prioritize it. And I say, what's realistic for our shop? resources you know like we don't um there's some equipment we don't have so we can't do some methods and you know if we can't there's always another way but is your ability level high enough to know what the other way is uh what's um what's realistic from your budget standpoint you know from a budgetary standpoint and then and then yeah, I mean, they're real-world constraints. You and I can't go, you know, do a weekend project without thinking about those three things. Yeah. And so then we, uh, yeah, we we just, I, then we kind of go from there. And then from there, let's say they want to do a napkin hoarder. Well, then yeah. they got to sketch 10 versions of the napkin hoarder. Oh. And, and it, they're just thumbnail sketches. Like, they're real primitive. And, uh, and I just say 10 versions. They just got to vary. And they hate it. Uh, they can't come up with 10 ideas. And I just tell them, like, get goofy about it. How's it, how's it going to hold napkins upside down? Draw that up. You don't have to build it. Right. Just, just right. think about it. Yeah, and yeah. Then, then they narrow in from there. Um, and they do a final kind of formal sketch, depending on the idea and where I think they're at. I might say, all right, build a prototype. Um if they're sloppy and then part of it I tell them too is, is like an elevator pitch. I tell them I'm your investor, you know, you're using my time, my energy, my materials. Um, so, so make a pitch and they, and they kind of, it's an informal pitch, uh, just something that's usually done in passing and Uh you know, I'll flip through their book and if I like what I see the, um, then then I'll just give them the green light and I say, go. So that's awesome. That's cool because they really, it's like a contract. They're like, all right, this is what I plan on doing. This is how I plan on getting there. And uh, they have to get started on it. And it's, it's a real thing. Yeah. One thing I found I, going back to your question about like productivity is that get, training them to know how to make um, next action steps, like baby steps. Is really, yeah. really, you know what I mean? Like, like when we, when you, when somebody says build a shed, they might think build a shed, but you and I are going to go right to like step one, call Miss Dig, right? Like call, well, call Miss Dig in New Jersey, but call, you know, make sure we can dig a place for a foundation first. Yeah. Um, you know, first. Right. That's that, that's that like micro baby step right. um, that I know from having to manage so many projects, but they, you know, they, they're still in this NBA star, I'm just going to play a bunch of, basketball. you know what I mean? And I'm going to get there. You know, I don't realize that. No, you got to, you know, if you're going to think you could think, think as big as you want, but act very small, act with very small steps. And so training them to like, okay, well, your action steps, that's part of the book too. They have to write out their action steps to build the project. You have to do it per day. And what I look at is, is it something that could be completed in an hour and do you have it written in a way that I could perform the action step for you? So, like oh, okay, really? Why, why do you do that? 
Well, that's just a, a more so because it's very easy to just say build a shed instead of instead of layout bottom plate of east wall. Mm. You know, that baby action stick, because that's all they're going to have time for in an hour. You know, even if they said build yeah. east wall, you know, they're, they're going to lay out bottom plate of east wall. Now they've got that baby step and it, it does a couple things, I'm sure. But the main thing is that it's it makes their goal attainable. Totally. Oh, but I thought you said something you make sure that it's something you could do as well. Like, uh, so, so when they write it out, it's, it's, it forces the specifics of, Oh, layout. you mean a, a different person? you mean a different person? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Uh, like any, okay, I got you. So it's not just in their head instructions for themselves, but really anyone can do it because it's been written out. Yeah, exactly. And you're specifically about the steps. Mm-hmm. And cool. yeah, yeah, that's it. And, and, so, and, and obviously they don't all come out painted that 